You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Adam Getz. Adam is a partner at Burston Getz and a rep with Mass Mutual. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chip. No, this is a, this is a special treat. I don't know how many backstories or anything else, but this is a very special treat behind here. Well, I, I hope we won't tell too many stories. So for those of you who are listening, Adam was my big brother in our fraternity. We went to Clemson together and have been friends for a really long time. Actually took two really unique ways to get into this business. You know my story. I'm looking forward to here at Adams. So Adam, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us kind of how you got here, but you don't have to start all the way back in the fraternity days. (laughs) Sounds good. I just had my 20th anniversary with a mass mutual relationship. Always wanted to get into investing, advising, whatever you want to put it for a very young age. It wound up knowing another fraternity brother, Chip knows Mr. Jamie Can, who's a longtime Mass Mutual rep uh, in Pittsburgh, and a bunch of things came together. I was really naive in many respects and wound up here in the spring of 2000. So early on, really became an insurance specialist, but over time, my practice has certainly evolved much more in the asset management space and really think we have a, a unique story that we work with in regards to how we, we work the, the managed and the, the, the full financial planning world into the insurance space and finding efficiencies on both sides and Hopefully, we're doing a job right, not overplaying one side over the other. So, Adam, what was it like? You know, we talked a little bit off the air about the fact that, you know, some folks maybe from the broker-dealer or the RIA world might knock folks who start out in insurance. What was it like starting out in the insurance kind of arena with Mass Mutual, and then seeing that evolve over the last 20 years? Yeah, luckily, uh, just through good guidance of some senior reps, I got equity license pretty early on, so that was helpful. But uh, the longer I've been doing this, it's very clear that the insurance conversation and the permanent insurance conversation specifically, you can only truly have the right to have it when you control the money. You fully understand the client, the relationship, and really understand that this makes sense because of this and because of the other things you have. I think there are far too many people who have, you know, one product to, to sell and they're out there trying to find a, a way to force it on everyone in every possible scenario. And there's a lot of good fits for permanent insurance from tax standpoint, risk mitigation, whatever that might be, but it's not for every scenario. I think it's important to understand that there are many, many places out there that the folks, the advisors might not always see. Uh, and to be quite honest, it's not as easy a conversation sometimes. I think there's a lot of bias out there. There's a lot of different kinds of programs. A lot of people have scar tissue over bad experiences, but uh, but it, it's just it's being that trusted advisor to, to have the ability to sit down and talk about as a strategy and much less of a product. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that it's interesting because, again, I think a lot of it has to do with what we're taught early on. And as I've said before, yeah, I took a sales job. The idea of being CEO of anything uh, other than maybe my household was kind of out of the realm of possibility. It, it felt like 
getting into, and I'm, I'm sure, what was it like when you first started? I mean, it, you know, and, and I'd love to get into kind of how you've progressed now into, because I, I think that for a lot of our listeners, one of the ways that we may grow over time is inorganic growth. And you've had an opportunity to be part of a succession plan to now be in this partnership. Talk a little bit about what it was like, though, kind of getting started, kind of earning your stripes at the beginning. Yeah, it's painful. I think for anyone coming in, in cold to the, whether it's insurance-based background or, you know, purely in the investment space, it's painful. But I think that every time I'm talking to new reps in their first couple of years, I always try to equate it to the residency in the, the medical profession, that this is truly a career and not a job, no matter what angle you're coming at it from. And you need to afford and understand you're going to be poor for a little while. And I think that uh, the important thing is that you see it at the long-term time horizon in the career is you're underpaid for a couple of years to be overpaid for the rest of your career. And there's a lot to that. The other piece of that that, that I think isn't talked about enough is supportive family and friend structure. And if you have a significant other who doesn't fully get what you're doing or why you're just squeaking by for the first year or two, you got a problem. Uh, so it's important to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with other people or different levels of experience in, in the business to understand that, hey, struggling for a little bit is completely normal. Um, I remember coming in, there was no sales manager. You had a cubicle. You got a you know, phone book sitting there before having a computer on a desk. It's like, go get them. Here are the numbers you need. Every quarter going forward, you know, your, your top 200 friends and family, you need to start hitting up to hug some insurance. And uh, it just somehow, some way, I just was uh, persistent enough to keep showing up every day. And I had the mindset, as I think everyone does, I'm going to keep showing up until they turn off my key card and not let me in the building anymore. And uh, it's never going to be my decision to, uh, to go in a different direction. I'm going to keep showing up and keep beating my head against the wall. And before you know it, you start having some success. And you just start building and it's just it's meeting people. And it's not seeing yourself as a pure salesman by any stretch. You're, you're an advisor. And anyone who's working in the financial space, you're having some of those intimate conversations a family's going to have with anybody. And if they allow you behind the curtain for that and you can treat them in the highest regard and hopefully from a fiduciary standpoint of putting their, their interests first always, that's where you have the conversations as far as you know, what are your short, medium, long-term goals? We screw up and this investor program works well. Here's the taxation of it going to the next generation. Are you comfortable with that? That's where you start having conversations around insurance. Through market volatility, I came in, I was lucky enough or unlucky enough to be around through, you know, 102, 08, 09, you know, this March and April. There's some strong fluctuations in the market that, it, trust me, it's a lot easier fielding phone calls from people who you're sitting on their assets but, oh, by the way, we got that 100, 200 grand in, in cash value, that old boring whole life policy. Let's talk about how that has continued to grow through this volatility and how that can be a buffer against the other assets that you might have and how that's a strategy. Magically, people forget about buy term and invest the difference when you start you know, highlighting those through real market scenario. I'll get out in diversity and understand what the overall goals are. Well, and I think that you hit on one of the things that I talk about a lot early on is don't quit, right? You know, this business is hard. We were talking earlier. You remember when my oldest son was born, he's 21 now. And when he said he wanted to become a financial advisor, you know, he said to his mother, I want to do what dad does. And she said, well, you want to do what you think he does now, not what he did when he started. It's, it's a whole different 
ball game. And and so for those anybody who's new, just don't quit. Just, I think Adam's advice of just keep showing up until they change the key card or ask for your key back. I mean, it is. It's a grind early on, but I think that equating it to residency is a good way to look at it. Now, Adam, you had a chance to, if I recall correctly, be a part of a succession plan. You mentioned Jay, and I know that you came to work there in that agency with him. He was a, a mentor to both of us. Can you tell a little bit of the story about kind of what happened and how that developed? Sure. That still kind of strikes me on a daily basis, kind of how that came together. The, the Jay was a 20-plus year rep with Mass Mutual, very old school, limited. His investment work consists of American Funds A shares and you know doing term and small whole life policies, but a lot of them. And he had the most rabid following by his clients, and they loved him. And he was such a unique force of nature. And from a very early on stage, I remember looking back that I really thought coming to a new city, starting my practice in Pittsburgh, I had no tie to the, the local area, that I really thought it'd be much more of, hey, here's you know 20 names, go give these people a call and set it up. And it never really was that. But in hindsight, I realized I learned so much more by learning kind of his mental side of the game and understand how he treated clients and, and just how we were brought to the table. Jay, unfortunately, got fairly sick and passed away suddenly about seven years ago now. Uh, so thankfully, we had a succession agreement in place, uh, and that helped in many different angles. His family was taken care of to monetize the asset that he had built in his 30-plus year career at that point in time. Myself, I was able to walk into a lot of new relationships, pick up a lot of new expense, too, by taking on his staffing and lease obligations and everything else. But the biggest thing was for his clients and just getting continuity there. And though everyone was shocked and, you know, still, you know, pains to this day of, of not having Jay in their lives, the ability to have someone to carry the torch and not have them, you know, maybe early in retirement, of going back out to market and find a new advisor and a whole different philosophy and approach to everything, no one wants to do that. If you can come and make it easy for the client, and I, I don't care what, what area you're coming from, but any financial advisor, people work with us and not go directly to the internet because we're a translator. We translate all the noise out there. We want to make it easy. I tell my people, I want to be a local call away for any financial concern you have. I want to translate all the BS out there and make sure that they, they know how to translate, that this is how you make sure you're, you're properly arranged from a, uh, you know, just a protection standpoint, retirement standpoint, succession standpoint, whatever that might be, that they know that one person is looking out for that. and Everyone's got enough other things on their plate that they need to know that they trust you as a professional. You're translating that, and they get the heck out of the way. So, Adam, for the clients that you took over you know, as part of that transition, what would you say in terms of how many of them, maybe as a percentage, or what was the retention like? Seven years out, I think we're at 90, 90% or so. Now, there's always going to be some that maybe didn't have the closest relationship with, with Jay, but it was unique that he was such a force of nature. And so the ability to step in, I had a lot of credibility, even if we hadn't met yet, to know that, you know, I, I was brought in by Jay and we worked together for a dozen years or so. That set the bar pretty well. Since then, there's a, another semi-retired local advisor I've been working with in regards to transition this book. But very excited. Dave Burston is a local legend, 50 plus years in the career, who does nothing but executive benefits plans and, and just does top-notch 
most ethical businessman I've, I've ever engaged with. And uh, we just had conversations over the last couple of years and formalized things last year that, look, he wants to know when he's done that his clients are being cared for and that his clients want to know that when he's done, that there is some line of continuation that all their hardworking plans are going to be continued. You want to make it easy on people. You want to make sure it's as seamless as possible. One of the, the uptakes of the last seven months of craziness is the Zoom-based world. So we're doing a lot of client reviews and things that I'm just on in the Zoom call and just you know announce that you know, I'm part of the team and just want to be able to be part of the conversation. So when the time comes that I'm your primary point of contact, nothing's new. We all know each other. We all know how we operate. We're comfortable. I'm keeping notes on my side. And clients don't want to leave. So don't give them a reason to. Make sure it's as easy as possible. Make sure they feel like they're working with a team and not just a solo operator. Uh, and that's how you best monetize your practice going forward. I think that for anybody listening, I think I've been through five acquisitions. You've been through now a couple. And one of the things that you said that really struck me that I hope people hear is to put yourself in the client's shoes. Clients don't like change. The last thing that we want is to add any kind of unnecessary and undue surprise or change in their life. And so by kind of looking at it from their point of view and being able to provide that continuity of care, like Adam's talked about, I think is incredibly important. So Adam, if you were a younger advisor who've had conversations with older advisors, how do you enter into that conversation about what it might look like? Because I think that you know, one of the reasons that we started Signature was the idea that there was a large opportunity of 65-year-olds and there were 25-year-olds, but that was a big gap to bridge. And so we felt like we could create something that kind of stood in between to help facilitate that. For you, how do you have that conversation? So if somebody's wondering, I don't know, maybe there's an older rep or advisor in my town or in my office how do you kind of start that conversation and what was the process like here with this most recent project? Uh, I would just encourage people to be as honest as possible, you know, to just go at it. You're sitting down with someone in their sixties and to think that this hasn't crossed their mind. I think it's crazy. So it's just, it's building relationships. Remember, put yourself in the shoes of someone, you know, let's say 65, 40 years in the business. That's their life's work is their book. That's their practice, the relationships. That's everything that they've done in their professional world. They are only going to consider having a conversation with you if they think you're ethical, upstanding, professional, and that you're going to continue on and make sure that they don't look like a fool for bringing you to the table. I think just, well, let's grab coffee. Let's have lunch. Let's talk and just be honest. What's your succession plan? I've always looked to you, Mr. Advisor, you know, the way you carry yourself, your pillar of the community. What's your plan? And I'd love to find a way to do some more joint work and, and possibly be a part of it. Um, I'm personally, I'm, uh, I'm an eternal optimist. But I'm 45, 20 years in the business. I hope I have at least another 20 years. I joke with my wife that I'm in my prime, um, but it's just kind of, you know, i got 20 years of experience, but I'm going to be here for a while. I joke with clients, they're stuck with me for a long time. Uh, and I think that that adds a lot too to having the conversation. Someone who's maybe, you know, thinking about a foot out the door, guess what? Your clients are seeing the same gray hair on the, on the Zoom calls that you're seeing. And that they're also wondering kind of what's that succession plan. So for them to bring someone who's got some experience under their belt to know that there's a plan in place that, uh, that they don't have to go out and you know, start over. I, I heard it recently that clients only want to financially undress for one advisor. 
And it, it's an emotional experience when going through everything. And if they don't have to restart that process, you know, make sure you, you give them a reason not. Right. And it's all about them. It really is. And one of the things that I can recall in having conversations with some of the advisors that we've had these kinds of relationships with is, and again, if you haven't done this for 20 years, one of the things that I think it's important to understand is these folks have become your friends. I mean, these are your family. I mean, you meet with them and talk to them as much as you do probably some of your extended family. And it's a big deal for a senior advisor, whether somebody has, and again, Adam, I think you and I both have been in the role of kind of junior advisor, right? I mean, we've been in both kind of sets of shoes. For somebody to bring you into their practice is a tremendous show of trust to you. And it's hard. And the idea of who am I going to trust these relationships to is a hard thing. And the idea of walking away from the business is a hard thing. Sure. And so that if you're listening to this and you haven't been through that yet, on either side, just know that that's normal. It's normal for folks to drag their feet. Or what would you say, Adam? Well, I would just say expand that it's important to see from the senior advisor's shoes, without a doubt, and understand that many times, I uh, just had a conversation the other day with someone who was, you know, partnering with another senior rep and saying, you know, I just don't feel like I'm getting let, let into enough conversations. There's still such a control piece. Just, you got to have open and honest dialogue, have consistent check-in calls, and just be honest that, hey, I really don't feel like I'm being trusted enough here. I really need to, you know, maybe the, the next email checkup or whatever, I'll CC you in on, but it needs to come from me. We need to start making sure the client's seeing from my voice too. And, and so they make sure that when the day comes that you're fully, you know, passing the baton to the next generation of advisor, that they're not seeing you as a junior advisor. They're just seeing you as part of the team. It's the next logical step, that they're not giving up anything as far as experience or knowledge, professionalism, anything. One of the things that my first partner, so you know, my partner Scott and I have been together 22, almost 23 years, and we were partners with his dad. And one of the things that he did for me early on, because I, like you, Adam, I saw an opportunity where I was a 22-year-old guy. Nobody's looking to give their life savings to a 22-year-old. I don't care how big you are. Uh, you know, you can look older. And so it was a good fit for us. But one of the things that he did for me that I'll never forget is he treated me in front of the clients like an equal from the beginning. I was always, and we've tried to do this in our practice, you know, have you met my partner so-and-so? And he was always really good about that. And he did a lot of, I've heard it called tagging, talk about the good. He did a lot of that with me so that when people were talking to me, they could have confidence. And and that really, I think, is a, you know, for those senior advisors out there, it's a big deal to build up your team because over time, that really does give a sense of security to your clients. Sure. Oh, it's good for everybody. I mean, making sure that the maximum clients, asset management, whoever, making sure that they're there. The other piece that's been kind of interesting going through the process of being at the table with some of these conversations of mostly folks who are retirement age is it makes it that much easier for me to inquire about the next generation in regards to, you know, when mom and dad are gone, someone's inheriting the money. And for the insurance plans and everything else, and just the general investments, you know, transferring forward, it's making sure that the next generation 
also knows that line of, you know, this is who you work with. You don't have to think about it. Make it easy for them. That's the last thing they want to worry about when they're dealing with, you know, when their parents are gone and all the confusion and just the, just all the garbage that goes with kind of that whole process and moving money forward logistically. If you can be that helping hand to they already know and you can say, I got this. I've got everything you need. You let me know when you're ready to deal with it and we'll translate everything. And we'll make sure that we, you know, pivot and plug in all of mom and dad's wishes into your current plan, good Lord. I mean, that is making it easy in itself and it's retaining assets. And you're also doing right by the senior generation is no longer here. So Adam, what have you found has been the biggest hurdle, if any, in the transitioning? Have you guys had a long lead time and process? What's the process been like? But also what kind of hiccups or bumps have you seen in the road in terms of bringing in and being introduced to new relationships? I think the biggest takeaways, it took us a while, but it's to have that consistent check-in time. You know, that's the downside of bringing in an experienced advisor to be that that junior, that next in the transition line. So they've got a lot going on too. And it's important to make sure that they're not too focused on, you know, what they've got in front of them, but there's some consistent check-in to make sure you're always looking at what are we doing to forward the relationships whether it's goal setting for the year or how many folks you want to get in front of or whatever that is. But I think just to have consistent check-ins is, is key. Yeah. Again, having done this a bunch, it's one of those things that you can't put too much planning into it. Right. So Adam, if you were starting over, so if you could go back to 25-year-old Adam, what's one thing that you would tell him in terms of just kind of getting started and building out the business, what's one thing you'd do different? That's a good question. Probably be more aggressive. I think you put it well, Chip, as you know, a 22-year-old, people aren't going to open up their life savings. But you got to ask and you got to have the attitude you deserve it. And remember, your other 22-year-old buddies you're hanging out with, they don't have any money either, but the parents do. You know, other family members do. Maybe other friends you know, have it. And you've got to, I'm a big believer in making people a client. And I don't care if it's a cheap term sale or a Roth IRA or whatever. Guess what? They're a client. As they get married, have kids, they get promoted at work, and you know, someday start inheriting some money, the complexity only goes up, but you're already in. You service the hell up. You're militant service. I'm a big believer in that concept that you want to make sure in the days of everyone's got all their horror stories of how awful it is doing service with you. You name the company, but they know that when they work with Chip and they know work with Adam, whoever it is, that it's an easy experience and you know, just one less thing to worry about. Um, so if you market the heck out of it, militant service, make them a client, and then you're there, you're the first person they think of when those other life events happen. And then you're able to step back and do that you know, full comprehensive plan or whatever that might be. But you've earned the right because it was, you know, pro bono work, basically, if I made 50 bucks on a term sale or whatever it is, I don't care. It's an investment into that future relationship. Um, and, and that's got to be the, the long-term mindset. The relationship is what it's all about. It's interesting what you said about having to ask reminds me of Jay, because you may not remember this, but when we were at Miami University, one of the things that Jay said to me that has always stuck with me is you have to ASK to GET. Yeah. And that's true whether you're talking about the sale and trying to establish that relationship. It's also true if you're a younger advisor trying to figure out how you might be able to partner with somebody in your office or 
If you're an older advisor or senior advisor who's trying to figure out what the next steps are, the truth is, sooner or later, you know, what's the old saying? After all is said and done, more is often said than done. And so you really have to be willing to, to step out there. Adam, I got one last question. I know that you've spent a lot of time, and I think this may interest some folks. You spent a lot of time not only working on your own practice, but now you're involved in your kind of some of the corporate stuff with helping other advisors. What's it been like and why do you do that in terms of if somebody was interested in doing more, maybe they're in a bigger company, why do you do that? What's it been like and what would be your advice for them? It's a dangerous question on a Monday because my schedule is littered with calls. But one of the things that I've really valued about my mass mutual relationship is number one, just the flexibility of the contract. But I would be a fool to ever leave you know, that overall relationship. But early on, I got introduced to what they call their advisors association. National group going back 130 years now. It's really the aggregated voice of our 7,500 reps across the country. So I was a local level rep, must have done an okay job, was asked to chair a committee, go through three-year stint. Now I'm currently serving as a national president. First one I ever from Pittsburgh in 130 years. It's very special. It's amazing the collaboration of the, the general agents nationally, but to be that voice of the field force and the collaboration with senior leadership uh, and to really be behind the curtain from the regulatory landscape to competitive, to anything else. And it's absolutely made me a better advisor. The, the caliber of other reps I've engaged with, just knowing nationally has been amazing. But just kind of that understanding the commitment to senior leadership and, and kind of what their their vision is and what they're trying to accomplish has been amazing. I know it, it brings more passion to my voice when I'm talking to clients and the reason why you go with a company on the insurance side, like a mass versus, you know, banner term or something like that. There, there is a difference. And there's a big difference in the big mutuals and everything else. But knowing that, you know, as a Fortune 100 company that's quiet, that, that is, you know, it's a mutual, boring, New England-based company that just kind of gets things done. And it's certainly made me better. This is a very unique year. It's usually July to July, and the lack of travel is really wild because usually I'm on the road a lot. But it's a 20 to 30 hour a week commitment. In addition to the four kids at home and my day job, it's, it can be a lot of times, but it's certainly highlighted my career. And I encourage anyone get involved, whether it's your know, local level associations or whatever, meet people outside of your broker dealer, meet people who have a little bit different take on the financial world. I think too many people have tunnel vision and are only surrounding themselves with people who are doing the exact same thing. And you're never going to grow from that. But just get involved, be a professional, understand the, the regulatory landscape, understand what's going to happen tomorrow from a federal, you know, best interest standard to what it's going to do from a state level going forward. Understand the insurance carriers in a world of a 0.82% 10 year treasury. You know, what are the headwinds that they're facing? It's wild and it's only going to get crazier. But I think the more we can do to educate ourselves and make sure good people are part of the conversation. You know, as with anything, that's your best chance of a positive outcome. No doubt. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. I've learned a lot and I've known you forever, <laughs> but it's been wonderful having you. We've learned a lot. And hopefully, uh, maybe one day we'll have you back, man. Thanks for being on the show. I'll do it in person someday. But no, I appreciate the invite, Chip. Good to see you, buddy. Me too. So if that sounds like you, any of those things, we covered a wide variety of things from buying a practice and being an acquisition all the way through 
to being that senior advisor, anywhere in between. If we can be of help, don't hesitate to join us in the Facebook group or reach out to me. You can email me at chip at maximumadvisor.com, and I look forward to being back with you again real soon. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com slash scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group. And subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.